Thank you for almost six and a half million downloads so far this year. Please help us reach more listeners in 2023 by making a year-end tax-deductible gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support. It used to be, I believe, a universally held notion, at least in the West, that every human being has intrinsic worth, intrinsic dignity, just by virtue of being a human being. Now, why was that idea so well-rooted in Western civilization? Now, we cannot take for granted that everyone holds that view anymore. There are many in kind of the naturalist worldview who are arguing against intrinsic human worth. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Joining us to talk about naturalism, Christianity, and human dignity, Dr. Angus Manoush. He's professor and chairman of the Department of Philosophy at Concordia University, Wisconsin, past president of the Evangelical Philosophical Society, and author of a column for the Lutheran Witness titled, Dignity in Christ Alone. Dr. Manoush, welcome back. Thanks for having me on, Todd. How is human dignity, human worth, the foundation of civilization? Well, what we mean by a civilized society is above all that people are not treated as things. They shouldn't be slaves. They shouldn't be objects of experiments. They're not just resources where you can uh, harvest their organs, use them as mere objects for various projects that you have. They're not disposable assets. Why do humans have intrinsic worth? Well, the answer of both Scripture and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights is that they have worth just because they are human. Now, of course, that leads you to a further question, what's so special about being human? And there are different answers to that question, but the foundation is that being human is what gives us a special value the Universal Declaration of Human Rights talks about the inherent, equal, and inalienable dignity of all members of the human family, so that it's not dependent on your wealth, status, or power, your physical or your psychological capacities. And it isn't something that's granted to you by the state, so a whole state can perpetrate human rights abuses. What is naturalism, and does it attempt to provide an answer to the question of why humans have intrinsic worth? Well, naturalism is the view that the natural world, or the world studied by the physical sciences, is all that exists. So it doesn't recognize the soul or God, and it denies really anything that natural science cannot detect or explain. Now, naturalists do, some of them, try to explain why humans have intrinsic worth. They rather struggle with it. Peter Singer, for example, is not so sure that there is anything special about human beings. He thinks that, well, if nature is all there is and there is no God, then why think that human beings have any more value than anything else? 
Others, though, like Eric Willenberg, try to argue that even without God, there's some sort of basis within nature that would give human beings dignity. Let's go into some of those views you just mentioned in passing. Some naturalists would argue that human value is based on human experience, what we can experience or what capacities we have. How would you respond to that? Right. So they think that there are certain natural goods. They think that pleasure is a natural good and pain is a natural evil, and therefore that you can estimate value in terms of the capacity for pleasure and pain. And this, of course, is what leads to the classical utilitarian view of uh, Jeremy Bentham and John Stuart Mill, which argues that we ought to maximize pleasure and minimize pain. Of course, a big problem for that is, if that's the criterion of value, it would turn out that in point of fact, an adult pig or dog has more value than does a human infant, which is precisely the conclusion that Peter Singer draws, and hence his tolerance for abortion and even infanticide. There are other naturalists who argue that human rights are grounded in the intrinsic right and wrong of our actions. How do you respond to that one? Well, the difficulty is is that natural facts do not, in fact, imply that anything is right or wrong. So the fact that kindness is pleasant does not logically imply that kindness is right. And the fact that torture is painful does not logically imply that torture is wrong. If one is going to draw a moral conclusion, one needs a moral premise. Otherwise, you have what's called the naturalistic fallacy of trying to argue from mere natural facts, which are descriptive, to a conclusion which is normative. In other words, you can't get simply from an is to an ought. So why do all naturalist attempts to ground human dignity apart from God, why do they all inevitably fail? For a number of reasons, primarily because nature doesn't come with an instruction manual. As uh, the atheist philosopher Nietzsche admitted, without God, there are no moral facts. There is no up or down, Nietzsche's madman said. There's no direction that's built into nature. And you can see the problem. If you did a scientific study of Mother Teresa being kind or of a Nazi doctor being unbelievably cruel, you would only find different physical processes. Nothing that you could discover from the natural sciences would tell you that one action is right or the other one is wrong. In other words, that you need to have an independent standard. Now, of course, Willenberg, for example, tries to ground dignity in our rational capacities and argues that at a certain point, if you have a developed enough brain and you can reason, then you will have a basis for human dignity and human rights. But it doesn't work because those capacities vary. Some people are more rational than others and some lack rationality for various reasons. And so you wouldn't end up with equal human rights. Some would have more than others, and some would not have them at all. And the problem really is that dignity can't be scientifically detected. So even if it did somehow exist out there, we could never know whether an action exhibited dignity or indignity. Uh, what we need for that is a conscience, but a conscience 
is something that can detect the moral law. The moral law, though, is not something that science can detect. And if we have a faculty that can detect the moral law that shows there's something about us that is beyond just a natural physical object, we have a special spiritual power or capacity that's tied into that natural law. So how does Christianity answer the question of human dignity? Well, it's got a manifold answer. In the beginning, all humans are made in the image of God. They are like God in a special way. That means also that they're beings of a kind that can be justified. Although in sin we became enemies of God, we're capable of being made right with God. And then there are other things. God becomes man. He shows his solidarity particularly with human beings. He dies for human beings. And when he is raised from the dead, the person of Christ is now human and divine through all eternity going forward. That's a remarkable affirmation of the significance of being human. We will explore each of those three points in more detail on the other side of the break, beginning with created in the image of God. How should we rightly understand that? Dr. Angus Manoj is our guest. We're talking about naturalism, Christianity, and human dignity. a rest from the world's headlong rush to Christmas? Someplace where you and your family can slow down and prepare for Christ's birth at the church's rather than the world's pace? A midweek evening Advent service is the perfect time for your first visit to a Christ-centered cross-focused Lutheran church. Learn more on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org or send an email to talkback at issuesetc.org. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Our church loves and is grateful for those that serve our country. Operation Barnabas, part of Ministry to the Armed Forces, equips you to reach out to veterans in your community to bring Christ to those that served. Call Ministry to the Armed Forces at 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Thank you for your service. Thank you. God bless our military. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatics series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook, facebook.com slash lutheracademy. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858. Talk radio for the thinking Christian. You're listening to Issues Etc. Lutheran Talk.
the cause of our salvation doesn't lie within us, but instead it lies outside of us, namely in the mercy of our God who sends his Son to live and die and rise again for us. Lutheran Music Listen anytime, anywhere with the Lutheran Public Radio mobile app. Download for iPhone, Android, and Kindle at issuesetc.org. The Word of God, Daily Worship, Lutheran Hymnody and Catechesis, Instruction in Phonics, Traditional Math, Literature, Grammar, History, Latin, and Strings. It's all part of our daily life here at St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois. St. Paul is seeking teaching candidates for the 2023-24 school year. Learn more at school at stpaulhamel.org. Consider joining the faithful faculty at the only classical Lutheran school in Greater St. Louis. School at stpaulhamel.org. The angel spoke, Fear not, behold, I bring you news of joy in Bethlehem this very night. Was born a baby boy who is the Savior, Christ the Lord. He'll win over death and sin. Upon a manger bed he lies behind a lowly inn. An excerpt from one of the 12 Arch Classic books of the Christmas Collection. The book is called Arch Books Treasury Christmas Collection. It's the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December. Find out more about it at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House. It's a great Christmas gift for kids ages 5 to 8. 1-800-325-3040. 1-800-325-3040. We're talking about naturalism, Christianity, and human dignity. Dr. Angus Manuj is our guest. Before the break, you talked about these three ways that Christianity defines and imparts human dignity. Let's begin with the first one, created in the image of God. How should we rightly understand that? Well, in the beginning, we're specially made like God. On account of sin, we do lose our original righteousness, meaning that we do not anymore by nature love, fear, and trust God above all things. But even after the fall, the image of God is used as the basis for special treatment for human beings. So at the time when it's permitted for humans to kill animals for food. Nonetheless, there is the warning in Genesis 9, 6, do not shed the blood of man, for man is made in the image of God. And so just because we're entitled to kill animals for food does not entitle us to treat other human beings in the same way. And in the New Testament as well, in James 3, 9, James calls out the hypocrisy of those who claim to love God and praise God, and yet they curse their brother who is made in the image of God. And so there's a double dishonor there. There's a dishonor to those made in the image of God, but also a dishonor to the Creator, because if He made us specially like Him, we're actually dishonoring God when we dishonor one another. How does the incarnation of Christ support human dignity? There, there's a remarkable fact, uh, something that the um, medieval theologians thought about. Why did God become a man and not any of a large variety of other creatures? If God had become a tree, that would certainly say that there must be something very special about trees. But in fact, he became a human being. And that shows that he had a special 
plan to call and rescue and save us. This goes back to the fact that human beings are special in that we're the kind of being that can be justified. We're the kind of being who is capable of knowing the moral law, of capable of knowing that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and who is capable of receiving Christ's righteousness as a gift. And so we see that he becomes man in order to uphold us, as we read in Psalm 8, as the crown of his creation, and then the crown really of his new creation as well. How does Christ's saving work then further ground human dignity? It shows that God so loved us that while we were powerless, while we were enemies of God, he came to make us his friends. We were powerless to make ourselves friends of God, but he came to do so. Likewise, while we were orphans, while we were branches that were cut off from the true vine, he came to adopt us as his sons, as you're reading Galatians 4 and Romans 8, and to re-engraft us in that vine as part of his royal, holy family. And as you read in 1 Timothy, he wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So this tremendous act of Christ is there as a gift for all human beings. So we know from Hebrews 9 and 10 that it is a sufficient and complete payment. There is enough righteousness that Christ has to distribute for all human beings that will ever be. How does the Christian view of human dignity ground our individual and corporate treatment of one another then? Well, some years ago, the Missouri Senate had a marvelous uh, statement when Barry was president of the LCMS that they may have life. And it has a great statement in it. No one is worthless for whom Christ died. And of course, Christ died for all. We are not to make any distinctions based on social status or mental or physical ability or power or wealth or anything else. There is a worth that's shown in the fact that Christ died for all. And we dishonor God when we dishonor those made in the image of God. I like to think here in particular of C.S. Lewis's The Weight of Glory, where he reminds us that we all have an eternal destiny, either in the end the beatific vision with God or separation from God in hell. And that should ground how we treat one another now. Are we means that might be a tendency or a stumbling block that would send someone in the wrong direction? Could we serve as an avenue that might lead someone closer to Scripture, closer to Christ? Every little action that we do may play some role in the eternal destiny of another human being. And I love the statement in 1 Corinthians 12 that speaks of the relationship between one member of the body of Christ and the whole body. It says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Or one could think of the John Donne's wonderful poem, For Whom the Bell Tolls, where he speaks of the impact of another person's death. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. 
it tolls for thee. So in this way, it shows how we are connected to one another in the body of Christ and that we should care for one another as part of God's cargo, those people he wishes to draw to himself and to be with him forever. Dr. Angus Manuge is professor and chairman of the Department of Philosophy at Concordia University, Wisconsin. He's past president of the Evangelical Philosophical Society and author of a column for the Lutheran Witness magazine titled Dignity in Christ Alone. Dr. Manuge, thank you. Thank you very much. We'll be studying the Advent hymn on Jordan's Bank, the Baptist Cry with Dr. Arthur Just, professor of New Testament at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, right after this. I'm Todd Wilkin. Stay tuned. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc., Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois, is happy to support the Christ-centered, cross-focused ministry of Issues Etc. Join us for worship, Bible classes, youth ministry, and other opportunities to grow in Christ. We have a Christian day school for children in preschool to eighth grade. We are located at 1300 Beltline Road. Call us at 618-344-3151 or visit www.goodshepherdcollinsville.org. Listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at LutheranPublicRadio.org. Sacred music for the Advent season. LutheranPublicRadio.org.